It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Chris Fabry of Chris Fabry Live is with me and you. Chris is not only a dynamic radio host, he's also an award-winning novelist, and he's got a brand-new novel coming out on Tuesday called Saving Grayson, just a compelling story. It tells the story of writer and teacher Grayson Hayes, a man with early-onset Alzheimer's who's on a journey to try to right a wrong from his past that he can't remember. All right, my brother Chris... This story is fascinating. Just give us the flyover plot of this book because it's <laughs> it's brilliant, really. It's... Thank you, thank you for saying. Anybody who says brilliant next to my name is is a wonderful thing. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Perry, focus on the family came to three of us: Angie Hunt, Tamara Alexander, and me. And uh, Jerry Jenkins is the one who edited all three of these, the books that we've written. You know, they do a lot of nonfiction stuff that help the family. And they said, we want to do some issues, but we want you to take a a novel and tackle it. And the the story that's been rolling around my soul is about Alzheimer's and the struggle it is. How many people, you know, it's six million people are dealing with Alzheimer's and then all the rest of the family. So I thought, what if I write a story that is told from the perspective of the person who's going through Alzheimer's? And so I did as much research as I could on that in my own family. I have a really good friend who's struggling with it and his walking through uh, his family is walking through that with him. And so I just thought, what if there is a man who is a, a writer, English professor, former, who really believes there was a murder back in his hometown? He has early onset dementia and Alzheimer's. What if he thinks that he needs to solve the mystery of his life, basically, by going back there and solving it before he forgets everything? Mm-hmm. So the ticking clock of the story is before everything leaves in his mind, he's got to figure this out. The story is told from his perspective as he's trying to solve this mystery. But then you see all of the the supporting cast, you know, the characters around him who are trying to love him well. And that's where you see the struggle of the the others to love Grayson, Grayson Hayes. They wanna they wanna love him. And I saw Grayson as Kevin Costner. <laughs> I want Kevin Costner to play him in the movie. There you go. And I want Jennifer Connolly to play his wife, Lottie. Okay. And so now you know. That's the flyover. We'll set it up. Yeah, if anybody knows Kevin or Jennifer, you know, let let them know. Why doesn't he remember the murder he thinks has happened? Is that because of his Alzheimer's, his early onset Alzheimer's? It's because of the jumble of life and the the way that the soup, the mixed up soup of his mind and memory. And that's the weird thing about this. The friend that I mentioned a little earlier I will call him on the phone and he'll say, Christopher. But he doesn't remember what he had for breakfast. He doesn't remember the paragraph or the sentence he's just read in the book in front of him. So there is some long-term memory that's still there 
short-term memory is is gone and obviously i've you know i've i've used this as a device so it doesn't have alzheimer's is something or or any form of dementia is something that's different with every person but this recurring memory that he has is he has this dream that he wakes up and it's so real to him and he writes it down he gets it down on his notepad and so it's so real to him that he, you know, he writes notes saying, you've got to go back. You got to see this person. You got to do this to figure it out. So that's, that's again, a device that I've used. Grayson, your main character, he wants to right some wrongs in his life. Mm-hmm. And you go through this yeah. process of, him just feeling this compulsion to right wrongs throughout the story. And I, I can identify with this, you know, as I look back at things I did as a teenager and just mm-hmm. the compulsion to want to go back and, you know, change things and fix things. And so talk about that. Well, isn't this everybody's life? You know, the the thing I want to do, I don't. And the thing I don't want to do, you know, I do. And what you see in the rearview mirror of your life, you know, I can, I've, as soon as you said that, I saw this kid on the bus as when I was a child who was just mercilessly treated and bullied by other people. And I didn't bully him. Uh, and it was mainly because of his religion. He was of kind of a offshoot of Christianity, a cult that we would say. But he was he was a sweet little kid, and he was he was just a kid, and he got bullied by these these others. And I never, I to this day, I never stood up for him. I never said anything in his support uh, or befriended him because of the difference that we had. And you know, and and that's something that's a wound that I have that I carry today. And so there is this. In Grayson, there is this rumble, there's just this tone, you know, the nerve inside of him that something is not right, and I don't know what it is, and I got to figure it out. And this then exhibits his own proclivity, (laughs) his own desire to do things on his own, (laughs) to figure it out himself. And he's had a a conversion experience. He's had this sense of God is real. Jesus is real. I'm forgiven now. And and he's been, you know, reading the Bible and his wife, he and his wife have been in a Bible study. But so much of his life has been him doing it himself. He thinks he has to earn the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. And he does that with the people around him. And Lottie says, Charlotte, Lottie says to him one day, Grayson, why won't you just let me love you? And that is an echo of God the Father in his life saying the same thing. And as I wrote that, you know, as I'm staring at the the screen, I'm thinking, this is not somebody with Alzheimer's. This is me. Mm -hmm. Why won't you just let God love you? Well, why do you have to? Why do you have to hold that thing way back there over yourself? And you know this whisper of you're guilty, you're shameful. You know you are guilt. Why do you have to do that? Why can't you just receive the forgiveness and live in that and swim in that pool rather than I got to make up for this? I got to do this uh, here. And I'm not saying that they're you know seek restitution, ask forgiveness of people too, but at the same time. 
it comes from God without strings attached. The, the grace and the mercy of God is that which we receive. You know, so it works on, on all different levels here. It's why I say it's not really a story about Alzheimer's. Uh, it is. I mean, that's, that's what he's going through. But it's really a story about grace and mercy and love and receiving it and giving it. And Lottie is Grayson's wife. And I can so identify with this whole thing of feeling the need to make things right. And you could shroud it in the word restitution, but actually what it is is self-salvation. It's a dead end, you know? We know that's a dead end. Chris, you wrote the book, Saving Grayson, and then you said, this does not ring true to me. And you did a rewrite, and you found yourself... I don't know if this is metaphor or in or literal face down on the pavement. Yeah. There's a little slab of concrete out behind our house where the my sons have made this gym, you know, this CrossFit thing and there's these bars that they swing on and hang on and do all of that. And um they have a pad. There's like this real hard mat that you have in a barn. And I went out there and I just put my head down. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't tell this story. I don't know, I don't know how to do it. It was, it was this, I think it was a Sunday morning too. It was just this crying out to God that I don't know how to write this. And I think that really, really good art comes from those times when uh, Christian art comes from those times when you come to the end of yourself and you say, I, I don't I don't know how to do this. I'm at the end. Mm. And then God just kind of, you know, lifts you up, you get back into the page and you look at the story again and you have some of these fresh eyes and you just keep on going, keep plotting day by day. Writing's a process, you know, this music is a process. Sometimes it happens, you know, it's lightning, it happens overnight, boom, you got the story, the song, you go. Mm-hmm. But most of the times it's it's a slog. And it's just like life, and I'm I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the hiccups and the fits and starts, you know, with all of these stories because they, the best stories are mined from inside, and inside is this jumble of struggle. And I don't have it, <laughs> God. You got to give it to me. So you know, you surrender. That's what that was. That was surrender and dependence. And uh, I'm glad, you know, don't wish it on anybody. I don't want it to happen again, but it it worked for the story. And so if I had to go through that in order to tell this well, okay. Yeah, I can relate with that too. Just this year, I I realized, man, you know, music for me has, has really become an idol. And... I really wrestled for several months thinking, I don't know if I can do this again. Like the recording part of it is especially an idol for me. And man, a dying process. And I feel like I'm coming to the end of that death and there's like a, a new beginning. Yes. I, I had to come to the end of myself. There's a real freedom because my guess is that yours, your struggles like mine. I, th- I want the outcome. I want this to be, you know, uh, I got to get to here in order to be, have a success. And so much of that depends on, you know, is anybody going to read my stories? Anybody got to listen to your song, you know? And I came to that same point where I say, Lord, this is yours. It's been, these, these 
things inside of me trying to get them out is it's from you all along so you do what you want you 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 bring the outcome of this i'm along for the process maybe the, maybe all of my stories are are about me trying uh, you know trying to conform me to the image yeah <laughs> and if that's true yep. great you know what a, what a great gracious god to let us go through that You know, in, in Christian art, we want to wrap everything nice and neat and tie it up in a bow. And well, let's face it, most of the songs we play on Moody Radio are wrapped up beautifully in three and a half minutes. And I wrote this song once called Help Me Find My Way, and it's about a searcher. And this person never finds what they're searching for. And, you know, somebody said to me, you know, what happens you know why didn't why didn't this person find what they were looking for? And that's the tension that we live in, isn't it? I had Colleen Chow on the program. She's stage four cancer. She stopped treatment now because she just her body can't take it anymore. But God's given her more time, and she wrote this little fantasy story. She wrote a fantasy story for her son, basically, who's struggling with her struggle. You know, life and death. And it's about a little 10-year-old boy who has cancer who doesn't know if he's going to make it to 11. And I asked her after the program, are you going to write a sequel to this? Because you can't just write one book. You've know, you got to have a series. And she said, I'd, I'd like to, but at the same time, she said, at the end of the book, I don't let them know what happens to him. I don't let them know if he has healing or not. I want to leave that with them. I want to leave that struggle with them. So I don't think I'm going to finish that story. And I thought, brilliant. Thank you. Because that's the tension in which we live today. And that's the struggle of the story. You know, when Jerry Jenkins taught me, and I've heard this from other fiction writers is, Get your character in terrible trouble at the very first page. And Grayson is in terrible trouble and he has Alzheimer's. And there's only one way this is going to end. We know that. You know that when you start reading the story. You almost have this sense of grief as you because you're identifying and you like him and you, you you want him to quote unquote win. You want him to solve this mystery, but you want him to to live. And so it's in the tension of that that you're pulled along. And I'll tell you, Perry, the, the stories that I'm hearing from people who are reading this, even just hearing about the plot line, they're, they're writing me and they're saying, let me tell you about my grandfather. Let me tell you about my sister. There are so many people who are struggling with this. And I, you know, that's my real hope for this book is that it will, the story will cause you to see that the struggle is life. The struggle of to love well is worth it. And, and there is redemption there just in that process that you go through. And isn't it in the wrestling that we get to know God more? Bingo. Yeah, struggle's a sign of life. It's not a sign of failure. <laughs> if you're struggling, good. You know, as I'm, I was just looking at Paul and Peter and uh, reading in Galatians about, you know, those who wanted to come back and you got to be circumcised in order to be a Christian, you know, right. in order to be in the faith. You got to do this, you got to do that. And Paul was saying, no, it's by grace. I'm crucified with Christ. 
nevertheless, I live. So this this whole thing about the process, I mean, it goes all the way back to the garden. God didn't have to allow Adam and Eve to have this choice to listen to the enemy. He didn't have to, you know, it was Satan falls, boom, he could have just cast him out, obliterated him. He didn't. Yep. He's allowed this process. You even see this in, in the life of Jesus, you know, perfect perfection. And he has to go through the process of growing from a child, little baby up into a teenager and then into manhood. He goes through this process as well. And so that gives me a lot of hope, uh, especially in the early church with all the division that they had. I mean, that's the whole reason for most of these letters is because, look, you got it wrong here, <laughs> you know? And we think, oh, they, we got to get back to the early church. Well, there's an awful lot of dysfunction <laughs> back there. And good. Yeah. That's what God allowed that to drag us kicking and screaming toward what the truth really is. So you love to write stories of characters returning to their hometown because because of your hometown. And I can so relate with this, too. I'm from Sheboygan, Michigan, a little town Sheboygan. in northern Michigan. Yep, Sheboygan. <laughs> and it's almost this sense of I came out of the ground of Sheboygan, mm-hmm. you know? It, t- talk about why you write about characters returning to their hometown, how that connects with your hometown. You know, they say you write what you know. I can close my eyes right now and I can see my my home and the little valley that we lived in and the other side of the road and all of the trees and the brilliant colors, you know, the West Virginia in the fall and the smell of the earth, that loamy. Uh, it changes. The grass changes in November. I think of the pain and struggle of my home state. You know, it was about this time in 1970 that the Marshall plane crash went down. Oh, wow. I had a yep. friend in the next grade to me. Scott was the best athlete in the whole school, even in the third grade. You know, he was the best athlete and real tall Went on to become a, a high school, you know, quarterback and everything. Well, his brother was on that plane, Tom. Wow! And so that just was this crucible, you know. And there were floods, and there were the mines disasters, and there's all you know the poverty and everything. You mix that all in there, and there has just been this this desire to tell these stories of the people who have struggled in the hills, <laughs> you know, and the perseverance and. You can step on them, you can kick them, you can try to drown them with the water, and they keep coming back. Mm. And I, so I love telling the stories of the, the persevering heart. And here, you know, with Grayson and this diagnosis that he has, and you see where his life is going, it's just so evident of he's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. Mm. <laughs> Sounded like Dr. Dawson. He's not going to give up. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I want to tell those stories of the people who've been f- flown over for so long, and Sheboygan is that way too. Yep. There are not a whole lot of stories about sh- people in Sheboygan. You know, yeah. it's the it's the grit. It's yes. the grit that is created in small town America. Back to Lottie, Grayson's bride. In your story, she knows things about Grayson. But she also struggling with her own demons, if you will, her own mistakes. Yeah. Talk about that dynamic. 
when they leave that little town or that area, there's family struggle. There's there's stuff that they don't ever really reconcile. They don't really tie the knot to. And then beyond that. And so that is part of the, you know, the mystery that Grayson is solving about the uh, murder that happened back there and this whole thing. And him wanting to love his family well, you know, there's a, there's a mystery in all of that. There's another reason why his ulterior motive of him going back there. Lottie knows it. Lottie, Lottie understands it. And she doesn't just come out and say, well, this is right here, Grace. You know, here's, here's the person that is you know, not going to want you to come back there. She doesn't spell it out for him. She absorbs it. And she weeps at night. And because you hear this in, you know, read it a lot in Grayson's point of view, he hears her weeping but doesn't know why. And he had no clue because she knows what he's going back into. She knows the past and his past sins and what those are going to do to him as well as to her. And that's one thing that she's closed the door on. She can't go back there. And she's told him, I I can't go back to that place. I can't go there. And in the process of the story, you see her grappling well with all of that, with all of the the demons, as you say. It makes me think, why doesn't she want him to avoid the pain? Yeah. And isn't that like the Lord to say, I'm going to let you go into that yeah. pain because you're going to come out different. You're going to resurrect out of this. Because in the end, there's a doctor and uh, Dr. Ed Shaw helped me. His wife had uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. And so he helped me kind of run through the struggle of, of all of this. And the, the doctor tells Grayson, you know, why don't you go back? It's almost like he's allowing Grayson to lead them through this story. He's allowing Grayson to do this one last thing where he's in control of everything to reconcile, to redeem, to, you know, go back, stand in the river because he's a fisherman Mm -hmm. for a long time ago. And so the psychologist, psychiatrist, the, the doctor is able to allow Lottie to let him do this, to let him go back, but to do it in a way that he'll be safe, you know, at least marginally, (laughs) do it in a way that's in a controlled environment with a person who goes with him. In your story, Grayson's the main character. His wife is Charlotte or Lottie, and she, she knows things. Yeah, she knows too much. You know, she she knows she's living with the weight of what is to come. And that's one of the things that I found with a lot of people who have spouses with dementia diagnoses that they carry the weight of all of this. So I'll go back to my friend, her friend Jim and met him in Colorado just uh, two doors down from us and across the street. And he was the fellow with all the tools that had been handed down to him and everything, you know, anytime I needed to <laughs> loan something to me, uh, I'd go over to Jim. But Jim was diagnosed a few years ago. He had moved down to Arizona, he and his wife had, 
and then now they they live in Texas. Well, his youngest daughter just got married, and uh, one of my daughters, who is her best friend, and I went to Houston. And I was real nervous about seeing Jim again because I didn't know, I didn't know. And then the conversations with his wife and seeing the stress and the struggle on her face. And she had to give the toast from the family. Uh, She did that for him because he couldn't do it. And she went through, and she's deathly afraid of standing up in front of people and speaking. She just hates it. To give her anything to do. (laughs) But that was part of the struggle. It's like, I've got to speak in his place. And what she said brought everybody to tears. It was just this this uh, slice of life, and she did such a great job. And I'm sure she didn't want to do it again, you know. Mm-hmm. But it w- that was part of the weight. All of that wedding, all of that planning, everything was on her because he couldn't carry it. And then she was carrying him as well. I got this video of them walking down the street together, and he had to hold on to her arm as they were walking down the street. He doesn't see as well now and to to trust her steps to to guide him along. And so that was just this microcosm of we're at a wedding and we're celebrating, but there's also the prospect of the future here. And there's it's almost like a funeral at a wedding, you know, that we're saying goodbye to someone who's slipping away in the middle of this great celebration and, and joy. It was all there together. And I was just so privileged to be able to witness that and to, to, you know, to, to see the difficulty and yet to see the love. You should have seen the love in that room. Perry, it would just knock you off your socks. Just one little snippet. When he walked her down the aisle, okay, and there were people who said, no, you shouldn't do that. What's he, he can't do that. And it's what if this, what if that is like Jim wanted to. And more than that, his daughter wanted him to. And so as they passed us in the, we were kind of toward the back, his daughter leaned over to him and said, you're doing great, dad. <laughs> and then, you know, the dance with her and the dad and the song that they played and the tears in her eyes, you know, it was as if she was saying goodbye to him and at the same time holding on to him. I sat down to him, next to him later and I said, Jim, there's an awful lot of people who love you here. And he looked at me and he said, I know, I know. That's what I wanted to capture in the story. Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.